The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman began her path to greatness when she was a senior in high school, when her father told her that his purpose in life was, quote, to make other people glad they saw him. She thought, I want that too. The next turning point came at the age of 21 when she embraced her Christian faith and all it stood for. And as the years unfolded, this woman became a blessing to everyone she met. She became a mother, a wife, and an incredibly successful businesswoman. She became known across the world as a transformational trainer and coach and as one of the premier speakers of our time. And after decades of touching hundreds to thousands of people from the podium, she is still offering up to everyone she meets a heart full of love and guidance. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Glenda Salisbury. Hi, Glenda. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Annette, it's my joy to be a part of the fabulous undertaking that you have. Well, I am so glad you're with me today, and I have so much that I want to explore with you. So we're going to jump right in and not waste any time. So you told me that most people are focused on two things, how to impress others and how to belong. But you freed yourself from these years ago. How did you do this, and what happened when you let go of these? Well, I discovered early on that people love to be loved, and everybody's unique. And so if we honor other people and never feel that we have to compete with them or that we have to compare ourselves, we're free to be me, so to speak. And I think that makes a huge difference in the way we interact with people, the way we interface day by day, whether it's with the grocery clerk or whether it's with a client. So I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on that. I see people, especially women, competing with each other. And even at high ranks, they particularly compete with each other. Can you speak to why you think that is? Well, I believe, and I could be wrong, but it's worked for me. And that is, most people try to be something they aren't. Mm. And in the world of professional speaking, I especially know that that's true. Because when I coach professional speakers, one of the first things I say to them is, quit being a speaker. Mm, Interesting. Just be you. Johnny Carson made a statement one time he was interviewed and they asked him, How are you so successful on your TV show? And he said, Well, I'm just playing me. And that's the most difficult role you can play. Oh, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And and so many people are feel like they're not enough. So they aren't, they won't be them. But I hope all those listening know that they are enough. You can't be what you aren't. You can be what you are. <laughs> and when you try to be what you aren't, it doesn't show up too well, too well, does it? So all of us, I'm going to go to decision-making for a second, Glenna, because you certainly have made some difficult decisions during your lifetime that have certainly been uncomfortable. And I have found with other women that often they become stuck in the process of making difficult decisions. So my question is, what approach to decision-making do you use to stay unstuck and keep moving forward? Well, you know, I learned a formula, and if I knew the book that I read it in, I would give the author credit, but it was years ago, and it stuck with me because 
Working in the corporate world, I kept finding that people gathered at the coffee machine and complained. They whined. They didn't get paid enough. They weren't feeling they were honored enough, blah, blah, blah. And I realized, wait a minute, what this man in the book said, you only have three things you can do in any decision you make. You can either alter what your situation is that you don't like, or you can avoid it, as in quit your job, or you can accept where you are for the moment and build your strength and your wisdom and change your perspective. It isn't always going to be like this. So if you're in a job that you don't like, but maybe you like the company, altering it would be to maybe move from marketing to sales. And if you don't like the company and you want to avoid the company, then you have to choose to quit. And if you say, well, and this is often what people say, but wait a minute, I got a mortgage. I can't quit. I have to. I say, okay, then you've made a choice. You've said that you'd rather be miserable in a job and make your payment on your house. So if you've made that choice, then you have to accept being there and you have to shut up. You can't keep whining because you made the decision. And the same thing is true in marriages, any relationship, any place we are. We only have three choices. And so it's easier to make decisions when you have a thought process. Can I alter this? Am I willing? Do I have the courage to avoid it? Or am I for now going to accept it and live my life happily knowing it doesn't always have to be this way? There will come a time and therefore I can walk in peace. Without decision making, Annette, with clarity, you never have peace. You know, you're exactly right. And I, I love the way you put that. And I think it's a brilliant process because it drills it down to very three very simple thoughts and you make a choice. And if you don't make a choice, that's a choice also in itself, isn't it? (laughs) And that's when you start doing that whining and complaining. And that's not a pretty picture, is it? (laughs) And women have a tendency to do that. They do, don't they? And I don't know about you, but I don't like it when I see it. And it's contagious. And men don't like it, especially. No. And it is contagious. Do you notice that? Oh, completely. Yeah. I I can tell a worse story than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Of what you've seen, I'm sure. (laughs) So a word that you like to use, and I've heard you use it many times, is authenticity. And many people have different version of what it means to them. So share, Glenna, what this word authenticity means to you and how it's been part of your success equation. You know, the easiest and quickest and clearest definition is to be comfortable in your own skin. If you're comfortable with who you are, you can be authentic. That's the only way you can be authentic, is to have the courage to accept exactly who you are and let yourself go then. Because without the courage to just be you and be present authentically, you'll be trying to be somebody else or to be like someone else in the way you do things, the way you present yourself. And it immediately, even if you think you're making a connection, an audience, let alone one-on-one, an audience knows when you're coming from a place that isn't 
walking your talk. Mm. And you've certainly seen that in your many years of being at a podium, haven't you? I've especially seen it because in the world of speaking, and it's true in the world of corporate competition, politics of any kind, you're trying to put on a face. You're trying to be wonderful on the platform, for instance, or you're trying to appear to be kind. But appearing to be kind and being kind are two different things. You know, something that I have found, Glenna, that has um, helped me stay in that authentic space is is when I learned to laugh at myself. (laughs) When I took myself too seriously, that's when I stepped out of being authentic and tried to be something that I wasn't. But once I could laugh at myself and say, oh, there she goes again, it was easier. You know, they, they did a poll. USA Today reported this years ago, but it's consistently true that when they ask people, what do you need for a workspace that makes you happy to be with the company? They said three things. And you know what number one was? Laughter. Really? They needed to be in a place where there was laughter. Secondly, CEO knows my name and calls me by name. Mm. And third, I feel valued as a team member. But laughter was number one for what made it a great place to work. Interesting. Do you love to laugh? I laugh all the time. I do, too. I love to laugh. (laughs) I can find humor in some of the silliest things. (laughs) Tell stories. People love stories. They do, don't they? (laughs) All right. So I'm going to move to focus because you have been wonderful at this. And we both know how critical it is to not let yourself be distracted from what's important to you. So how do you manage distractions and stay focused? And take it a step further and tell me what advice you would give to women who struggle with this. Goes back to something you shared at the beginning when my dad told me at 17 years old when I was writing a paper and I asked him, Dad, what's your purpose in life? And he said, well, my purpose is to make other people glad they saw me, I realized how important it is to have a purpose that you can speak in one sentence. And so the first thing I would say to women, in one sentence, tell me what your purpose in life is. If you can can drill down to what your purpose is, you can stay focused. For instance, my purpose statement is my goal, my purpose is to ignite the spark of faith and love in the lives of all who know me, family first. So every day, I know what my purpose is. And I stay on purpose easily because I'm clear about what it is. The other part of that that's critical is to know what your values are. And I don't mean abstract values, like if you're uh, think integrity is important. No, I mean, day by day, What do you really value? For instance, I value time before I value money any day of the week. So as a result, I don't watch TV. Now, other people watch TV for different reasons. That's fine. But I'm I'm a reader. I, I, I am a lifelong learner. I want to read. I want to learn. And so that's a value of mine. And if I get off base and lose my focus, it's because I've departed from one of my top four or five values in life. Hmm. Yeah. And then then you feel completely out of whack, don't you? 
Yes, but most people don't know what their values are in that. And so they don't know how to get back on track because your stress level will rise in exact proportion to you being off base from your values. For instance, if you can name, for instance, if you ask me, well, what are your values? My top five values are faith, family, ideas or knowledge, purpose, and nature. So if I'm not learning and growing, I feel off base. And I think that's important. And you have to ask yourself a lot of questions in order to find out what your values really are. And then you have to ask yourself, am I living congruently by those values? If I'm saying faith is important to me, how much time am I spending growing my faith? And I think that our bodies tell us when we're not being congruent. Definitely. You know, if your your stomach will hurt or your shoulders will hurt or you'll toss and turn at night or you'll get, you know, grouchy or, I mean, I see that in myself. And when I see those, those things happening to me, I stop and I say, okay, what are you not, what are you not living in alignment with what you value? It's purpose is absolutely true. And that's exactly right. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. So, We've all heard the statement, attitude is everything. And for you, your attitude has been one of hope. So how does this attitude of hope show up in your daily living? And what can you tell others about how to adopt such an attitude, especially in the middle of a pandemic? Well, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, I know. That's a, absolutely. (laughs) Well, this is a big truth. Uh, And I, I think the best word to describe it is, what is your world view? How do you see the world? For me, for instance, because of my faith, God is in charge of everything in my world. And he works everything together for good. So I know that whatever is unfolding in my life, even when it doesn't appear to be good, it's good. Because he does everything for good. Now, most people will say, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Well, if you take that worldview and you can't stop the COVID-19 problem, you have a lot of stress going. But if your worldview is that somehow this is going to work for good, I don't know how. I don't have to know how. I just have to be able to trust and to live by faith. And living by faith allows us to have a worldview that provides hope because I know that the story ends and it's a positive ending. Hmm. But the worldview is a big one. Yeah. And I had never thought about it that way, but that's a, a brilliant analysis of that because when people get caught in something that they feel they want to control yes. and can't like the pandemic, they can control their little piece of the world. Maybe, maybe, Maybe that's unclear, but it would be easy to feel hopeless if you didn't have that worldview to hang on to. Well, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2014, Hmm. and I had months accordingly. And I said, okay, so I know who's in charge of this. 
So I will rest in that. And miraculously, this is seven years later, and I've never had any repercussions. It just disappeared. And I know that doesn't happen to everybody. But I do know that during those periods where nobody knew what was going to happen, I was completely at peace. Other people were stressed out, but you weren't. No, that's exactly (laughs) right. There were a lot of people stressed out. But the difference is your hope, your worldview. And when things happen that are completely out of your control, and you think you do have control, and you should be able to fix it, and you know you can't, given the circumstance you're in, you lose hope, and you lose peace, and you lose a sense of joy in life. And that leads us into the next question beautifully, beautifully. So the question I have is so many driven women, like you and I, try to control things. They try to control their children. They try to control their careers, their relationships. But I know that you have a very strong viewpoint on the danger of this. So go a little deeper. You touched on control, but go a little deeper and tell me what you have discovered through the years about control. Well, I've noticed, first of all, in the the, the corporate world, control is a, a big issue because the more control you have, the wider your uh, ability to control is. If you have enough people reporting to you, you feel important. But the problem is the people don't feel important necessarily because you're really busy working on looking like you're in control. And the more control that we work at having, the more we demonstrate a competitive spirit, we create a sense of competition with those people who are around us, and they too then begin to try to work out their sphere of control. And so the greatest need, other than food and shelter, that every human being has is to be loved. That's that's a fact. Every human being, other than the need for food and shelter, needs to be loved. And so if I want to control people, or control my circumstances, the first thing I can do is start loving the people around me, the situation I'm in. I can begin to demonstrate love. And there's a strange comparison between love and control. But if you drill that down a bit, you realize that if you're not focused on trying to control with your own kids, for instance, How many families just are driven apart because the mother or the father has been trying to decide what kids ought to do or not do or what their focus should be instead of loving them, supporting them, encouraging them, and let their life unfold. But creating an atmosphere of love lets go of the atmosphere of control. Do you think that, um, before we leave this topic, do, do you think control sometimes manifests itself from a place of fear? Well, Brene Brown would say that. I know many of us have uh, been fans of Brene Brown, and she certainly recognizes that that's true. Fear drives much of our negative behavior. And so, yes, I think you're right about that, and that, that we hope that we can control a situation so it doesn't backfire on us. (laughs) Right. 
The problem is often it backfires. Because we're trying to control it from a place of fear. Because <laughs> we end up bringing out the worst in our employees and our coworkers and our spouses. And in our family. You've and in our families. In our families. Glenna, is there anything else about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? I guess the thing that would be worthy of recognizing, Annette, is every human being has a story. And if we're interested in people, one of the first things we can do is ask them about their life story and let them talk and share. Related to that, I mentioned being a lifelong learner. I think if we're interested in learning, we have often far more connections with people at a deep level than we do if we just happen to watch the same TV shows. I really find that when I know, for instance, about archaeology, which happens to be one of my interests, and I run into someone who is interested in archaeology, we have a completely different kind of relationship. And if you have a wide range of interests because you are a lifelong learner, you have every opportunity to expand your ability to relate to people and to discover their story. Because mostly we stand at cocktail parties and chit-chat, but chit-chat doesn't lead to connection, but storytelling does. And so to be a learner and to be an interested person as well as an interesting person you can make a huge difference in lives. No, oh, I think that is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, and I find that that lifelong learning shows up as curiosity, being, being curious about people and curious about whatever topics. And somehow we all have that as children, but so many adults lose that. Every once in a while, somebody says to me, and I realize, whoops, they'll say, <laughs> What is this, a job interview? (laughs) And I feel like I've gone too far. I jumped to the personal right away. (laughs) Because you're curious. You you truly want to know. They're not so sure that that's my purpose. (laughs) People really react to that. (laughs) Which kind of takes you back, doesn't it? So. Privacy. Yes, I guess so. And they let you know. Glenna, it has been an absolute joy and honor to have you with me today. And Glenna is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 